Nehemiah chapter 5 and the true test of leadership. And I'm going to remind you that as we go through, especially these next several chapters, you are seeing the practical application of spiritual principles like they really don't exist anywhere else in Scripture because we get the life of a single person who's hearing from the Lord, whose mind is stayed in Christ, whose life is marked by the things that are God's character, and who then is absolutely unafraid and unashamed to implement them. And, and tonight, Nehemiah's leadership is going to get put to the test. And there's a verse that we'll get to, and it's verse 15, that contains one of the great spiritual truths of, of the entire Bible, certainly of the Old Testament. But with regard to leadership, and really with regard to our individual walks with the Lord, uh, it's probably one of the most important things that you could ever put on your computer screen, put on your desktop, mark on your forehead, write it on the back of your car, uh, put it everywhere you can think of, uh, because it, it regards those things which we would call liberties. Things that we can do, but the question is in Christ, should we do them? And the answer is there in verse 15, and it really is the focus. And it says, But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine, and besides forty shekels of silver, yes, even their servants bore rule over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of the Lord. You cannot expect to have victory in Christ if you do not have the fear of the Lord. You cannot expect to have victory in Christ unless you have the fear of the Lord. You should not be in leadership in the church unless you have the fear of the Lord. If you do not fear God, then you have a problem as a leader in the church because he calls the shots. And what he says goes, and there isn't another authority above him. It's not SCOTUS, the Supreme Court of the United States. It's not POTUS, the President of the United States. It is the Lord God and then everyone else. Amen? And so tonight, Nehemiah gets a two true test of leadership. And let's pray and ask the Lord to bless us. Father, we pray for those of us tonight that are, are ill. Lord, we're just not feeling quite up to par, quite up to snuff. We pray that you would just heal and move in this place by your Spirit. Lord, restore our health. Lord, pray for my voice tonight, that it would just simply hold out, not because the people need to hear me, but because the voice that I speak with is the one you're going to use tonight. And so, God, sustain my voice. Pray that you would bless us as we study. Instruct us through the marvelous power of your Word. Lord, we give you this time. You authored it. We ask you to now use it for your glorious purposes. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Nehemiah 5, verse 1. And there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren, it begins. And I want you to take great note here that very often, whenever there is a great work of the Lord, the greatest outcry against it comes from the very people that are involved in it. Whenever you get a massive amount of people together, whenever you put a bunch of Christians together, or at this particular point in time, a bunch of Jewish people together, people who are attempting to do anything for God, uh, there will be some internal strife and dissension. It is part of the way the enemy works. The enemy delights to cause division and strife. He, he loves to get us fighting with each other because if he can do that, uh, then he doesn't have to do much himself. We'll do some of his work for him. And so here in, in this leadership sense, some leaders under those types of circumstances and situations grow. Some are repentant. Some are understanding. And some simply cave into the pressure and begin to act exactly like the enemy wants us to act and lose their temper and lose their cool. 
blow it, and eventually it is the leadership that sets the tone for how the Lord's going to be able to work in that circumstance. And so it doesn't matter whether it's in your home or in your town or at your workplace, we must stay focused on the things that the Lord has us to do, because if we don't, I can guarantee you when the opposition comes, as it's coming here, uh, you're, you're going to get very dismayed very fast. I've spent a long time in ministry, two and a half decades. And, and in that time, I can tell you, there's been an awful lot of disappointments. There have been an awful lot of difficulties. There have been a tremendous amount of things that I look back on them, and Lord, I don't even know how you got them done, given the people that were involved. Uh, I can look back on things that have been accomplished all over the world and say, God, unless you had built that house, it surely would not have been built. Because you, you don't have to look very far past yourself to figure out, get two of you in a room and you're going to have some problems. Amen? You're probably going to disagree with yourself from time to time, much less everybody else. And in this case, there's a plan that's been mapped out. There, there's a, a, a wall-building construction project that's underway, and this, this whole problem uh, really stems from the, the implementation of the dedication that Nehemiah has, and so now he's going to pay a price for that. If you remember, they had a tremendous task that they've undertaken. They're about halfway done with it as this chapter begins. And so now we have famine, we have a food crisis, we have taxation, we have exceedingly difficult times, and people at times during those periods of difficulty have a tendency to get a little bit self-indulgent. And you have the haves and the have-nots. You have the people who have uh, excess, and you have the people who don't have enough or or even uh, sufficient to survive. And so there's a great outcry uh, from the people, and it's very interesting, and you get a glimpse of the severity of it by the fact that the women are mentioned. Remember the culture that we're talking about. This is a Jewish culture. Women did not speak in public, period. They were to remain silent at all times if there was mixed company. And so the fact that the ladies at this time were screaming out about the same problem meant it was horrifically serious, that the problems were overwhelming to the population. And so this internal opposition begins to well up, and Nehemiah faces division on every side. And I will, again, draw your attention that any time that you begin to do something for the Lord, uh, there are going to be people that are going to be on board, and there are going to be people who are not on board, and everything in between. And as leadership in the church, you can't get dismayed by disagreement. You have to find some way to bridge, to build peace, and to create an environment where people can once again turn their eyes back to the Lord. Because the problem is going to be they're going to take a look at this from earth's perspective and not heaven's perspective. And so verse 2, it goes on to say, For there are those who said, We, our sons, our daughters, are many, and therefore let us get grain that we may eat and live. These families were facing the very same things that you and I face today. We, we've gone through a difficult time these last four years here on the mountain, really ever since the fire, since the slide fire. It's been tough. The economy's been a mess. Things have been difficult. It's not been easy. And, and the problem's not hard to see, amen? It's the solutions that are tough to come by. And part of the problem with people is they think in spouting the problem that somehow it's going to get fixed. I like to call these guys the whiners for Jesus. Of course, at that time, they were the whiners of Yahweh. But for sake of understanding what's going on here, uh, they're going to immediately begin to complain. They kind of forget, we forget at times, exactly how far the Lord's already brought them. The wall's halfway up. And so it's interesting to me that in the, the midst of this difficulty, uh, this struggle comes to light. Families are, they've mortgaged their farms. It says there that they 
also have had some that said that we've mortgaged our lands and our vineyards and our houses that we might buy grain because of the famine. Inflation was spiraling out of control. Crop failures had drastically reduced their their amount of pay and increased their taxes. Their taxes had reduced their holdings. It sounds like us. Amen? I was just like, man, I can't wait until I get the next new tax. Mortgage, mortgage interest rates, all those kind of things, flying off the, you know, right off the scale. I mean, we can identify. And, of course, none of us tonight, at least looking around the room, I don't see anybody starving to death. If you are, we've got plenty of food in the back, so we'll just go take care of that. But the bottom line is mankind has always been fraught with those who have and those who have not. Everyone was affected in some way, shape, or form. Even the wealthy, in this case, were affected, and they're going to be affected further as Nehemiah sees this and does something about it. But the problem kept going, really, from bad to worse. And I can't help but if we look at some of these people, that the very nobles that are going to get mentioned here aren't the the nobles that decided they weren't going to do anything about it. They weren't going to be a, a help in the process. They were actually going to profit from it. And I can tell you this, there are always those who want to profit from a bad situation. Always. It's, you know, like Rahm Emanuel said, never let a good crisis go to waste. There are those people, even in the church, there are people that still attempt to do these very things even in the church. And verse 4 it says, And there were also those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our lands and our vineyards. And yet now our flesh is the flesh of our brethren. Our children are as their children. In other words, we've mortgaged ourselves so deeply in debt that they are basically own us. And that describes an awful lot of people in our world today, too. People feel like they'll never get out of debt. They're just buried in it. I know multiple people that have lost more than one home in the last five or six years. Just like, I don't know what to do. Don't know what to say. And I'm not suggesting that some of that wasn't their own fault, because in some cases it certainly was. But the situation's not good. And it takes a God-sized solution. And he goes on to say, and indeed, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And I don't want to push this too terribly far. But this is one of the great things that I believe is completely unbiblical, that drives me absolutely insane about what our government is doing right now. Because we are mortgaging our children's future. And I don't care how you slice it. I don't care how many degrees in economics you have. Don't care how many degrees in mathematics you have. Two plus two equals four. Two plus negative 18 equals negative 16. It's a negative number, okay? And so you, you can't continue to take and take and take and take and take and not get exactly to this place where we have mortgaged our children. You can't keep doing it. And somebody like Nehemiah has got to stand up and say, enough's enough. Let's all make the sacrifices necessary that need to be made, and let's fix the problem. Because to not do so only forestalls the inevitable, which is everybody's going to pay the price for multiple generations. It says, we're forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And that is exactly it. Some of our daughters have been brought into slavery. slavery. It's not yet even in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and our vineyards. You ever wondered why Scripture is so plain and so clear? Let not you be a borrower nor a lender. It's a plain statement of Scripture. Because the borrower is slave to the lender. That's what it goes on further to say. And now here the Jewish people had even begun to do that to each other, to themselves. You see, it doesn't matter where it comes from. Debt is slavery. 
It always has been, always will be. If you owe someone a debt, you owe them your allegiance as well. And so here, this is an internal problem. I want you to notice that other than the king's tax that's mentioned here, which would have been to Artaxerxes, which would have been going to Persia, everything else was Jews taxing Jews, was people taking advantage of their fellow man. It's never worked in the course of human history, and it won't work now. Godliness with contentment is great gain. But taking someone else's great gain has never made for a a good economy. And so it goes on to say, For other men have our lands and our vineyards. In other words, they were up to their eyeballs in hock. As I shared with you a couple of years ago, Statistically, probably some of you still remember the statement. Can anyone tell me who statistically is the poorest nation on earth? It is the United States of America. Because we have more debt per person than any other nation in the world. And by definition, debt is not something that's positive. We may have a bunch of houses, but we don't own them. We may have a bunch of cars, but we don't own them. At least the guy who lives in Africa in a mud hut owns his mud hut. Amen? That's the picture. And so at least he's not a slave to the guy who owns his hut. And so the picture here is, when you see these things come up, it's not a good thing. Godly leadership steps up and voices the opinion, we should probably do something about this because it's not right to mortgage our kids, our farms, our land, and our future. Notice the personal reaction of a great leader. Notice the personal reaction of a great leader. And I became very angry when I heard the outcry of these words. Nehemiah looked at it from God's perspective. And he knew as long as the people in the city were suffering and they were at odds and they were divided, because they were divided right along class lines, just like people are today. You got the people who have money and the people who don't have money, and the middle class is basically evaporating right before our very eyes. You're one place or the other. And when a great leader sees that, a godly leader sees that, says, we got to fix that. Because that's not a recipe for success. It could be a recipe for an oligarchy, got a ruling class of people. It could be a recipe for a rebellion, like they had in Europe during the 1100s, the peasant rebellions. It's just like, we're all dying, so we're going to attack the nearest castle. We're going to take whatever they got. And if 10,000 of us die, so what? At least we'll eat, some of us. You see, it's when mankind doesn't care about each other. And make no mistake, I'm not talking partisan politics here. Because there are plenty of blame to go around. This is not a Republican thing or a Democrat thing. This is a God thing. We need to recognize that we have a biblical obligation to take care of the poor. The church has a biblical obligation to take care of the poor, period. And we are actively engaged in that very thing in this church. We do that on a regular basis. Individual help and corporate help is offered through this body right here. Because that is what we should do. But it's also a societal thing. That's amazing to me how many people are opposed to that. Not right. It's also amazing to me how many people think you should take it from one person and give it to another. Also, not right. Nehemiah says, I became very angry when I heard the outcry of these words. And quite frankly, there's a time for anger. And I think we're seeing some of it in our day and time. People finally fed up. 
There was a Pew Research poll that came out last week. said 86% of all Americans disagree with the handling of the federal budget crisis. It's about time. And if Christians would wake up and look at their Bibles and go, ah, we're doing this the backwards way. We can't borrow our way out of debt. It don't work. It never has. And it's not going to work right now. Industriousness, hard work, and thrift is what your Bible teaches. Industriousness, hard work, and thrift is what your Bible teaches, along with helping those who are disadvantaged. That's what your Bible teaches about this subject. So righteous anger is appropriate. It called for action. Notice verse 7. And actually the way this is translated in the, in the New King James is, is very close to correct. And it says from the New King James, after serious thought, what it really means is, before I talk to anybody else, I talk to God and I talk to myself. There's a time for talking to yourself, okay? And here's why. You want to make sure that you have the facts correct. You, you want to ponder. You want to use the mind that God's given you. And so Nehemiah does exactly that. After serious thought, notice it doesn't say, and then I thought some more, and I waited a little while longer. There are times for action. There are times for thinking. He thought, and then he acted. I rebuked the nobles and the rulers and said to them, each of you is exacting usury from his brother. Each of you is unduly extracting a fee from your brother. Each of you is taking your resources, which are abundant, and being stingy with them to somebody else. Pretty harsh. Usury. It's a tax. It's to say, you know what? Because I can, <laughs> that loaf of bread's going to really cost you, man. And so I called a great assembly against them. Thinks through the situation. I also want you to notice that he's using a pretty good measure of self-control here, which, by the way, is a fruit of the Spirit. Amen? Gentleness, meekness, self-control. He's taking those thoughts captive, every one of them in Christ Jesus, thinking them through and saying, okay, Lord, what do you want to do with this? The word that's translated there in some versions, consulted, or translated the two-word serious thought, means to give one's self-advice. You know how you do that? I bet you all know. It's by knowing what God's Word says. That's how you give yourself advice. You seek the King of Heaven. You ask Him what He thinks about the matter. You go to His Word, and where He has spoken, you speak what He has spoken. That's what I'm doing. I'm speaking what he's spoken. Here's what God says about the situation. Here's what God says about the problem. It's essential before confronting anyone else that you've consulted with the Lord. I can't tell you how many times I've had to diffuse or have been involved in a situation to where someone has brought up an issue or a problem or something in the church or in ministry in general only to find out they didn't quite have all the facts correct. And because they didn't have all the facts correct, and they went off half-cocked, they shot somebody that should have probably been talked to, or they talked to somebody who should have been shot, figuratively, of course. Nothing happened. The nobles and the rulers no doubt were the power players of the day, and we've got those. Every organization has them. you got people with their own personal agendas. They see things the way they want to see them. And so Nehemiah begins to speak to the issue at hand. He says, you guys are selling off your kids. You guys are throwing away the things that are most precious. You know, sometimes when I look around at the world, it, it it's it's staggering. 
I met with a mom yesterday and talked to her about the future of her son. And she's sharing with me, I don't know how he's going to go to college. I don't know how, what is he even going to do? Family of God, it's about time the church got concerned about some of these things, I think. Because complaining about them doesn't do any good. We need to put some people in office who have godly values. And if we don't start voting in Christian people into office, we got nobody to blame but ourselves. Because they're going to think the world's way, and they're going to act the world's way, and that gap between the haves and the haves-nots is going to grow. It's not going to get smaller. Verse 8, the confrontation comes. And I said to them, according to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. He says, we went out and, and gathered everybody back. Did we gather them back so we could sell our own kids away? Think about it for a second. Weren't we just in Babylon in captivity? Why did we go there? Oh, that's right, because we weren't paying attention to the Lord. That's why they ended up in Babylon in the first place. And they watched it happen. And God was faithful to give them a prophet the whole time those things were occurring. You had Jeremiah and Isaiah faithfully preaching, thus says the Lord. And everybody's going, I don't care. You know, I'm still pro-gay marriage. I realize God's Word says that we're not supposed to do that, but... So what? Just too tough a fight. Family of God, if God's got opinions on it, you've got an opinion on it, period. Now, you can either believe what He says and act on it, or you can go the world's way, and I am prophesying to you that this country will not be long. Because we're going exactly the same way that the Jews went. We know what God's Word says, but we ain't going to do it. Just too hard. I mean, after all, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, I mean, how are we going to defeat them? We've sold ourselves into debt. So let's just cave into their moral decay. Let's just do things their way, because it's easier. Then we won't have any problems. Nehemiah did not shy away from the real issues of the day. And he was unashamed of calling sin, sin. Here's the problem, and here's what you need to do about it. Now indeed, will you even sell your brethren... Or should they be sold to us? And then they were silenced and found nothing to say. I am waiting for the day when there's someone bold enough to stand up in Washington and say what needs to be said, and everybody go, oh my. Because that's the only thing that's going to stem this tide. That is the only thing that's going to stem this tide. It's not going to be more government programs. It isn't going to be borrowing another multiple trillions of dollars. It's going to be somebody standing up and going, we need to change direction. We better do it now because we have sold our kids into slavery. We're selling our families into slavery. We're creating things that ought not be in a nation that professes Christ as Lord. You see, Nehemiah tried to resolve the problem first before going public, but once he went public, he called it the way he saw it. The Old Testament is very, very, very clear about this regard. Exodus chapter 22, Leviticus chapter 25, Deuteronomy chapter 23, the Jewish people were not to exploit other citizens, period. They were to take care of them. They weren't to take advantage of their own people. And so after confronting the nobles, he basically says, okay, you're not going to do anything about it. 
then we'll do it this way. And by the way, the process that he's using here is exactly the same process that you find in Matthew chapter 18. He went to the people privately, then he went to them in twos, and then he said, if you won't hear me, let's take it before the assembly. Let's make sure that everybody gets the picture here. What was it that was the specific observable behavior that Nehemiah is confronting here? And this is super important because you, you need to understand something. God hasn't changed his character. He hasn't changed his opinion on the matter. The New Testament says exactly the same way, the same thing, by the way. If you see that your brother has need, how can you harden your heart against him and say that you have the love of God dwelling in you? You, you see, Nehemiah is taking God's stance on the issue. Nehemiah was giving testimony of the things the Lord had said. And then I said, what you're doing is not good. Is that plain enough for you? What you're doing is not good. Not, well, I kind of under, you know, I, I mean, the Keynesian principle of economics clearly states that, you know, the law of supply and demand clearly states, and, well, you know, if we just had more cap to go with our trade, well, this is what he's saying. God's got an opinion. Here's what God says. What you're doing is wrong. There's a time for boldness. Because boldness stands for the Lord. Being wishy-washy, not so much. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? I'm going to put that one in the Supreme Court. Should you not walk in the fear of God because we are reproached to other nations, our enemies? We're a reproach to other nations and our enemies because we say one thing and do another. And that's what Nehemiah is addressing here. He's speaking of a national crisis that has national implications, and those implications are bad. And he's saying, are you kidding? Do you realize God, what he's really saying, to paraphrase this, God's getting a black eye because we're being a bunch of dopes. We know what God's word says, and we're not doing it. It's time to do it. It reached a boiling point. Nehemiah brought together the rich, the powerful, the landlords, and the poor, and the disadvantaged all into one place. And frankly, that's what has to happen in our nation right now. And it better happen soon. Because it can't go much longer. It, it's time for that kind of action for us as well. And quite frankly, I think the devil sits back and applauds when we have all kinds of division. He's just going, yay, they're fighting with each other. I don't have to do anything. The rich hate the poor. The poor hate the rich. Republicans hate the Democrats. Democrats hate the Republicans. Everybody hates the president. Not everybody. Everybody hates Congress. Yeah, it's just like all this stuff going on. It's like, let's get back to the central principle that made us great. For the Jewish people, it was trusting in the Lord their God with all their heart, their soul, their mind, and their strength. It's the same for us. We get to do it by grace instead of through the law, but the principle is the same. They'd reached that place to where it was about to explode. And frankly, because of grace, we have the stricter commands, family. It's easier under grace, amen? I don't know about you, but I haven't had to go buy a cow and take it to the temple down in San Bernardino recently. I don't wake up in the morning and go, man, I hope nobody moved my pile of sticks I was going to offer up as a, as a wave offering this morning. You know, gosh, I forgot to go mark out my field for the first fruits. Oh, no, I won't be able to keep that one. We wake up every morning, we say, thank you, Jesus, for the grace. And if we're children of grace, man, we ought to start walking in grace. Living in grace. You see, there's a great tendency to enjoy 
sometimes the things that we probably shouldn't have at the expense of other people. As I've been listening to their arguments on both sides of these things, I, I can tell you this. The answer is going to be painful. If there is an answer. But as the children of God, are we not servants of the Most High and consequently servants of everyone else who's on this planet? We should be doing the things that are tough. Now, I shared with you before, I, I, I bring back the Waltons. Let's build on, let's build on the house. We get, you know, you can yell across, good night, Jim Bob. I don't know what it's going to take. Doesn't sound that bad to me. This whole concept that everybody's got to own three houses or five houses and 417 cars, and I think we've lost vision in some places. Maybe it's time to rethink some of that. Notice what Nehemiah does. He calls for very specific, observable action in behavior. He does not give them a bunch of spiritual principles. Well, you know, just go pray about it, brother. There is a time for that kind of a statement. But when God has spoken, the church should speak. When God has a clear opinion on something, the church should clearly speak on it the way God speaks on it. Nehemiah calls upon the leaders to stop the evil behavior. He doesn't say, well, let's start a committee and see if God was right. Because that's what we do in this country, right? Let's just pass a few laws, and we'll see if we pass enough laws that we'll prove that God was wrong. doesn't do that at all. Notice what he says, And I also with my brethren and my servants am lending the money and grain. Please let us stop the usury. He doesn't call everybody into a meeting and say, Okay, well, who's doing what wrong and who's doing what right? He says, Let's all start doing the right thing and stop doing the wrong thing. It's real simple. One of the reasons that, that I believe our world is in such a mess. And if you look at Europe, we're heading there really quickly. There is no right. There is no wrong. Everything's a gray area. You just do whatever you want. You know what we're seeing in Europe? We're seeing the reversal of those very things which we are thinking about enacting in this country right now. Denmark is overturning gay marriage. Why? Because it doesn't work. Brilliant from Justice Alito yesterday. Why should we be considering changing our Constitution over an issue that has not existed as long as cell phones and the Internet? Brilliant. God's had an opinion on it for more than 2,000 years. See, I, I think there's times when we forget to be bold as God is bold. That's not to be mean. That's to simply say, thus says the Lord. He's spoken it. Can we not have a few things in our lives that are thus says the Lord? Period. End of conversation. Doesn't need to be debated. Doesn't need to be renamed something else. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Amen? Restore them now, even this day. That is specific, observable action. Restore them right now. Their lands, their vineyards, their olive groves, their houses, also a hundredth of the money and the grain, the new wine, the oil that you've charged them. He says not only give it back to them, pay them for borrowing it from them. Give them something back. Show them that you mean it. He, he says it's got to change. And I think I know why. Because of human nature. Human nature is, here's the plan. I'll enact it tomorrow. 
which turns into next week, which turns into next month, which turns into $17 trillion now. And again, I don't mean to harp on this, but this is exactly what's going on in our nation. Where's it coming from? Somebody's got to say, enough is enough. No more. Stop. We can't do it. And frankly, I don't care if they've got an R or a D after their name. Somebody needs to say, enough's enough. That's what Nehemiah was getting at. Give it back to them, and oh, by the way, pay them interest. It's never worked for there to be the rich and the poor. It's not God's way. God's way is we're in this journey together and we take care of each other. Consequently, there was real repentance as we begin to wrap this chapter up. And so they said, because of the boldness in Nehemiah, we will restore it. We'll require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And then I called the priest and required an oath from them that they would do according to the promise. Notice what he does. And it is spot on. He doesn't give them an opportunity here to, to kind of play it out the way they want to play it out. He says, I want you to make an oath before God. He says, you telling each other all these things that you're going to do, that's nice, that's wonderful. But I want you to swear before the Lord that you're going to do this. Maybe that will carry some weight. We live in a day and time where whatever you say before the Lord, in a lot of cases, doesn't matter at all. But I think it's about time that we revisited that particular part of our history. I think your, I think your money still says, in God we trust. Not in Congress. Not in the executive branch, the legislative branch, or the judicial branch. Certainly not just in our military. But in God we trust. If you trust in God, then you're making your petitions, you're making your requests, you're making your oath before God. That's why we are one nation under God, indivisible. And thereby having liberty and justice for all, that all men are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. Amen? It's pretty simple. It worked while we were doing it that way. They required an oath from them that they would do according to their promise because words are cheap. And then I shook out the fold of my garment. This is a Jewish idiom. Basically he's saying, there's nothing hidden from God. I don't have something tucked here in the fold of my garment. There's not my fingers crossed behind my back. Here it is. I shook out the fold of my garment, and so may God shake out each man from his house and from his property who does not perform his promise. He says, guys, gals, people, you you can lie to me all day long. You can tell me what you think I want to hear, but know this. You made that vow before God, and so help God. He will shake you out. He'll find you out. As Scripture declares, those things which are done in secret one day will be shouted from the rooftops. That those things which we think we got away with that nobody saw, God sees. From his house, from his property, who does not perform his promise. And even thus, may he be shaken out and emptied. He says, you can either give it up voluntarily or let God empty you. And I don't think it's right to think of retribution, but I know this. God is a just God. And he does repay. And vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It's up to him to make those retributive payments. And thus may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. Praise the Lord. And then the people did according to the promise. 
you see, I believe that's why James Madison said that this form of government, speaking of our democratic republic, said that this form of government is suitable for none other than a people whose belief is in God. You know why? Because it demands that there's somebody above the president. There's somebody above Congress. There's somebody above you and I. There's somebody above, period. And so that endowment of freedoms and rights and all those things that people talk about don't come from us. They don't come from freedom itself. They come from God. And because they come from God, we have a responsibility to God. And so as we have that responsibility to God, then we are all held accountable by God. Amen? That's the picture. So Nehemiah shakes out his lap. He says, you guys want to break your vow to God? You go ahead, but not me. And apparently everybody pretty much got it. Verse 14. And moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be the governor in the land of Judah... From the twentieth year to the thirty-second year of the king Artaxerxes, twelve years, neither I nor my brothers ate of the governor's provision. This is the passage of scripture from which Pastor Chuck wisely once told me, he says, the greatest liberty that you will ever choose to take is the one that you choose not to take. In other words, there are things that you can do. There are things that are okay, basically, with God. But when you choose to give them up, you are then saying that the person who has the least matters most. Pretty much what Jesus said about himself. I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. And when you take that view, you're taking God's view. Sure, you can. But the question is, are you willing to give it up for the sake of others? I would say to you, that is exactly what the cross is. He was willing to give it up. Exactly what the book of Hebrews says, by the way. Despising the shame, he endured the cross. Laid his life down, yielded up his spirit. Gave his life a ransom for many. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took the bread and the wine besides the forty shekels. And here's how verse 15 comes into play and into view for us. Yes, even their servants. In other words, their underlings, their hirelings, the people under them. You know why that's so important? And if you apply it nowhere else, apply it in your own home. Those who are under you learn from you. What you do, what liberties you take, How you live your life matters. It matters at home. It matters in the workplace. It matters in our community. And you will replicate people who do what you do, not what you say. And so he says, But I did not do so because of the fear of God. When you have a healthy fear of God, it puts everything in perspective. When you have a healthy fear of God, it puts everything in perspective. All of a sudden, you're viewing that information correctly. You're saying, God, this is your bank account. It's not mine. God, this is your house. These are your cars. That job, you gave me that job. And what I do, I do because you are enabling me to do it. The earth and the fullness, in fact, God is yours. And so, God, I want to do what you want me to do because I fear you. Because I know you're a just God. I don't know if you ever think about this, but it's a healthy thing to do. You probably have all been in those situations where you did something and you were, man, I hope Dad doesn't come home. Hope mom doesn't show up today. You know, maybe I can clean up this mess before she gets here. And you're waiting. And then you hear the car pull into the driveway. 
and the knees knock together and the sweat rolls off the brow and you're about ready to die right then and there because you got the fear of dad. You got the fear of mom. Fear not what can kill the body only, but what can take the soul. There is a little more at stake with displeasing God than there is with displeasing mom and dad. But sometimes we forget that. And I'm not trying to put undue fear, but a healthy fear of the Lord that your book, called the book of Proverbs, found there in your Bible, says is the beginning of wisdom. It's how to use knowledge correctly. It's pretty simple. Because he feared the Lord. And indeed, I also continued to work on this wall. And we did not buy any land. In other words, he didn't look at the current housing market. And can I just share something with you? It grieves God and it grieves me when I hear people taking advantage of a bad situation with people in the church. It makes me really upset. It makes me want to get out the shepherd's crook and take it to a neck and drag somebody over here across to my office and let them have it. Somebody's losing their home and the vultures come swirling in. Whoa, you know, I just want to save you, brother. If that's you, repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. We don't take advantage of people in bad situations. I've had this happen to me. We were in business. I had a business partner who knew that our corporation, my parents had done the, done the dirty deed. It was a done deal. And I had a guy offer me 10 cents on the dollar because he knew I couldn't do anything about it. Can't imagine, cannot imagine that we as the body of Christ would ever resort to that. But I have heard of situations of people doing that. Somebody's losing their home. Well, let's, uh, I'll give you a short sale on that. Please, in Jesus' name, don't do that. Don't let me hear about it. Because you will get a phone call. You will get a phone call. The fear of the Lord. He continued to work on the wall. <clears throat> he bought no land. He didn't take advantage of the situation is another way to look at it. All my servants were gathered there for the work. And at my table were 150 Jews and rulers and besides those who came to us from the nations around. Now that which we prepared every day was one ox, six choice sheep, fowl prepared for me, and once every ten days an abundance of all kinds of wine, and yet, in spite of all of this, I did not demand the governor's provisions because the bondage was heavy upon the people. Look at the heart of Nehemiah. They can't afford it. I'll spend my own money to make sure they have it. That's a little different than what we got going on in the world today. Amen? We need some more Nehemiahs. People that look at it, you know what? God's blessed me. I don't even know what to do with it all. I can tell you a secret to living in this life while we await the return of the Lord or whether we await our last day. You cannot outgive God. It's not a possibility. You can't do it. Matter of fact, I defy you to challenge God's question in Malachi 3. See if He will not pour out upon you a blessing that you cannot contain. Period. And He will. Nehemiah knew it. I know my God. God delights in cheerful givers. And that's exactly what Nehemiah was. He looked at the people and he said, whatever we got, I'm going to help. I'm going to go the extra mile. Remember me, my God. And this really isn't a question, it's a statement. And I love this. He's basically saying, I know you'll remember me. I have every confidence, God, that you're going to remember this. My God for good, according to all that I have done for this people. 
And so Nehemiah ends this chapter by taking this opposition, this very difficult thing, and standing strong on God's word, God's character, God's nature, God's principles, God's provision, God's power. Notice there's not a single thing here where Nehemiah erred from God's plan. There's no compromise whatsoever. God said it. This is what we should do. Here's where these conditions exist. We're going to do these very things, and that is exactly what we're going to do in totality. And I want you to vow before God that you'll do them. And in doing so, the people were blessed. And the work continued. And it's going to get done. That's the motivation for service. It's the way that we live our lives. As you look at this chapter in hindsight, there are some principles of integrity here that I want to just simply leave you with. Nehemiah knew when to say no. It's important in our lives that we know when to say no. He said, no more. We're not going to keep doing this. We were wrong. It's time to change. Let's go the right way. That's called dealing decisively with sin. A leader in crisis is a leader who can't say no. You've got to be able to say no. It's possible to maintain a facade of righteousness. It's possible to fool some of the people some of the time. But it's not possible to fool God. Nehemiah was more concerned with what God thought than what people thought. Nehemiah was concerned that what he did honored the Lord, not any government or institution. And what I did not just say is that you need to all not pay your taxes or do weird things. Because if you know your Bibles, your Bible says you need to render unto Caesar those things which are Caesar's. But what it is saying is that we have an obligation to do God's things God's way. And if we do, he blesses us. And if we don't, we suffer the consequences of that inability to say no to the things of the world. Christian life ought to be lived in such a way that people see what we do and they glorify God. That's what Nehemiah said. By the way, that's exactly what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 as well. And so do your good deeds before men that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's what it says. At times we have to be ruthlessly honest, family of God. And I'm saying this because we live in a day and time like none other that I've ever seen. A time of compromise. A time of dumbing down of God's word. And I believe that the, the tide is able to be turned and stemmed. But only if God's people stand up. Otherwise, whatever drain this nation is about to swirl into, we're all going in it together. So we can either say, you know what, thus says the Lord, and stand on it, and stand firm on it, and do what God's word says. Or we can cave in and go the direction of the world. That has always led to bondage. Always. Don't know about you, but I love my country. I don't want to see it in bondage. I don't want to see the blood of millions of people flushed. People who fought, bled, and died for the freedoms that we enjoy. The only answer is to turn to the Lord. If we do that, a lot of hope. Be strong. Be courageous. Be Nehemiah's. Don't do what you shouldn't do. And do it simply because you fear the Lord. Amen? Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for this time. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for these passages that just strengthen us, Lord. Give us boldness. Lord, there are so many things that we are doing wrong in this nation. And we're just idly standing by. And God, we just ask that you'd show us mercy. God, we pray that you'd install godly leaders in places of government through your people exercising their God-given right to vote. Lord, we pray that we would not stand idly by while sin abounds. Lord, not in our own lives and not in our nation. Not in the church. Lord, help the church to have a minuscule divorce rate. Help the church to raise our children in a home with a mom and a dad. Lord, help the church to see needs and fulfill them. Help the church to stand for righteousness. Because if we won't, we know the world won't. We thank you for the boldness of this man, Nehemiah. We can't wait to meet him when we get to heaven. Pray that you would bless us and anoint us and use us for your glory. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.